Welcome to Bar Dive, a podcast about the people who love working in bars and what they're now doing to navigate the new service frontier. I'm your host, Kayla Anschell. Last episode, we spoke with John, a Seattle-based bartender and recent first-time restaurateur who was just about to open his restaurant-slash-bar, The Ballard Cut. One of the things we discussed was bar capacity. It will take some time before John's new restaurant will be able to seat more than 50% of the available space. This 50% number isn't unique to Seattle, and it's one that many other states have adopted as the country forges ahead with reopening plans. Most of Florida's bars and restaurants are now allowed to operate at 50%. This excludes Miami and a couple other counties that were hardest hit by the virus. It makes me wonder, though, that as we slowly ramp up to full capacity, will the bar owners and people that work there be able to pay their bills in the meantime? On this episode of Bar Dive, we chat with Ashley, a Miami-based bartender and agave enthusiast who's eager to get back to work. We talk tequila, tipping culture, and whether or not it's possible or even makes sense for the service industry to return to the way it was. So, Ashley, when we last spoke, you said you'd been bartending for about five years. What was it that initially drew you to the industry? So uh, I didn't have any experience in the actual hospitality industry. I did work in an ice cream shop and then like a juice bar at a gym. And I had moved to Melbourne, Australia pretty soon after graduating from college. I think I always kind of knew that was the first job I wanted to get. I you know, assumed it was going to be very social, a good way to network and meet people in this new city that I was living I found a really cool spot in the city, and I was lucky enough to get that opportunity to start working as a server and worked my way up, which I'm very grateful for, behind the bar. Was bartending initially, were you thinking of it as being like a temporary thing for you? Yes, but I feel like once you're in it, it's a very exciting job in the sense of, especially for me, you're always doing something. I've always had like an office job on the side. I keep myself very busy. Once I started working, I was, I couldn't see myself not working in the industry. So I kind of kept at it and I always enjoyed it pretty much. So during your first year of bartending, uh, what was the biggest learning curve for you or did, or did most things come fairly easily? I initially found it very intimidating. You almost feel like you have to know everything, which which is not the case. You know, you can ask questions, you can pull out your phone and Google a recipe and stuff. So it was just building that confidence, almost like a fake it till you make it. And just knowing how to communicate with your guests, being able to take criticism, like, hey, you know, if it's just being able to, to multitask, which is, I think, something I do well at. So multitasking is something that you need to learn and how to be aware of like many, many things going on at the same time. Absolutely. And I remember too, like when I first started bartending, I was like, oh my God, there are so many drinks for me to learn. And it's kind of overwhelming. But then when you start doing it, you find that 90% of the drinks out there, people are not going to order. There's maybe about 30 cocktails that people will you know, that you should be familiar with and people will consistently order. 
Yeah, I remember when I first moved back to Miami, I was working at a bar in Fort Lauderdale and I kept hearing like green tea shops and I'm like over here, like, what is that? Why would someone order that? You know, I was like super nervous because I'm like, great, people are going to come to my bar, this like popular thing. And it's a tasty shot slash drink. And it's, it was funny because it like made me nervous to think what else are people going to ask me for until then you just kind of, you just pick it up, you learn it and it's just something else you've learned, you know, and now I have that in my, my knowledge. So what is, I've never even heard of that. Green tea shots are essentially Jameson, peach schnapps, lime juice, and sweetener. So like agave or simple syrup. And you shake it up and it essentially tastes like a green tea, like a green iced tea kind of thing. That actually sounds really good to me right now. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it it ends up being, it's a very easy shot to drink. And it's not straight alcohol. So it's fun. You can make it into a drink. I've done that. So when people asked me for a drink where I was working, it was very limited. We really had very minimal of any other spirit. And we mostly had agave spirits, so mezcal and tequila. That was like my go-to for someone who wanted somewhat of a sweet, tart drink. I would just turn it into, you know, pour it over ice instead of a shot glass. So your Instagram name is Miss Agave. And you have a lot of really interesting posts and videos about agave-based spirits. You told me that you originally hated tequila. So what was it that changed? So I started working at this bar that I mentioned earlier in Melbourne. And it was a tequila bar. It had a beautiful, beautiful back bar. Crazy selection. Considering how far Australia is from Mexico, they had tequilas I didn't even know about. And so living in Miami, growing up in Miami you know, and I would go out to the clubs, somebody orders a tequila shot, it was bad quality tequila, unfortunately. And so I never really liked it. I didn't know how to drink it. I was just the typical vodka cranberry. That was the go to. And so working at this bar, especially like during a busy shift right before they would tell us like, hey, staff get together and we'd get a tequila shot. And I remember having to hold one of like the server's hands as like we took these shots. You know, I wanted to man up and do it. And I think there were like two main turning points. We were trained in a lot of the tequilas that we had on hand. So we would come in before a shift or maybe on our, we were closed on Sundays. So on a day off and these brand ambassadors would come to our bar and sometimes they were actually the owners of tequila brands all the way from Mexico. And so the other part was I was actually born in Mexico. So I kind of felt this like sense of pride as I'm like learning about it, seeing images of the field, how it's done. And I started to like earn an appreciation for the spirit and learning about it and knowing what to look out for as I sip on it instead of trying to take a shot slowly I just kind of got into, I I, I built a taste for it. Like I said before, I would drink vodka cranberry and not because I liked it. That was just what was around. And I finally found my drink. And do you like that more than mezcal? Mezcal hits different. Mezcal, sometimes (laughs) I have a crazy (laughs) craving for it, like warms me up. It's almost like another level. And I like mixing them. So if I'm making a margarita, I'd love to add mezcal to it to, to balance out the flavors. Yeah, I think, you know, first came the tequila, but I have like a similar love 
like my second born would be the mezcal. I don't, I, I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but and mezcal is a whole other, it's a whole other range because even though you can pick up many different flavors and notes with tequilas, mezcal, they make it with several different agaves other than just one. So you can really play around and, and taste actually different plants from the different mezcals that they make with it. Your Instagram account was always agave focused, it seems like, but it was more recently that you started posting videos and such. Is that right? Correct. So I found myself like attacking my guests, always waiting to see who would let me go on my rant about tequila. I had many guests that would come in and came back because they went and bought the tequila I introduced them to. So that's more of the bartending I was focused on teaching people about it when people, when somebody would ask for a certain brand because they were essentially just buying the brand. I just wanted to take everything I always was wanted to say to a guest and, and put it on that account. And so I would highlight tequila. And when I, I had taken two trips within the last year to Mexico, so I had a lot of content from Jalisco, Tequila Jalisco. Because I ran out of access to all of these tequilas that I would just have on my backboard, which I would use in my posts, a lot of those photos I took at the bars I was working at, since they were closed, I was like, okay, let me see what other content I can do to keep engaging. And I had done like a story for another company making a cocktail and I just kind of kept going at it. And I enjoyed the feedback I was getting. So yeah, I've kind of geared my my page a little bit to be more personal. I posted a little bit more about me because it's just the content that I have at the moment as opposed to my bartending. That's great. And what has the, been the response so far? I've had pretty positive feedback. The account's been growing organically. And I've connected with random bartenders from all over the world. I've connected with agave enthusiasts and brands have reached out. So it's been a positive and learning too. I mean, even editing them, I'm trying to find different ways to do it. And so I'm happy that I started doing that and putting myself out there. What was it that made you want to go to Melbourne specifically after you graduated? Australia has always been my go-to destination. You know, people have that like bucket list country. And I still to this day don't know what got into me because I was like, right, yep, I'm moving. I miss it dearly. And the hospitality scene is very special. And I'm happy that I got to basically learn from, from that community. So I'm sure that there were a lot of differences between bartending in in Miami versus bartending in Melbourne. But what do you think was the biggest difference between those two cities? One of the main things that was different was the way you're paid over there. You got paid a normal living wage. When I moved here and I did that swap, we're like, okay, now I know that I'm, I'm working for tips. I found myself to be a little more competitive with, let's say, the servers and thinking all the time about money, thinking like, oh, is tonight, was tonight worth it? Was it not? Because 
just like any other slow night, you could have got sent home in Australia too, let's say, and you don't make your wage that you would have made if you did the full hours, but your focus was just, just on your job. And I found that different. I feel like there was like a different motivation. You know, I didn't feel like anyone worked any less overseas, but it gave you, if anything, more motivation to want to work when you were working for a decent wage. So your hourly wage in Melbourne was higher than it was in Miami? Correct. But just because here in the hospitality industry, you get paid what is like minimum minimum wage for this industry. In Miami, it's around like five something. And then you get tips, but technically you have to tip. Here in Miami, unfortunately, it's kind of like you expect 20%. And it's like you have to hope that your customer understands that you aren't getting paid a normal wage and their pay is based off of the tips that come in as opposed to tips just being that, a tip, right? We, we got a few tips in Australia. It was probably like $60 a week and that was great, you know, just that little extra that came through, but I didn't have to feel like I wanted to put any pressure or any extra. I, I enjoyed my job and did my best without having to put that onto my customer that came in for the experience of the restaurant, of the food we served, and of the bar and the drinks that we served. So it sounds like tipping was like wasn't something that was required there because servers and bartenders in Australia are paid more of a living wage than servers and bartenders in the US. Yes. So once you got your schedule and you saw, you know, the hours that you were given, you could almost budget that in, of course, knowing that, you know, if it's a slow day or something happens and you get sent home, then you might not make that. But at least I could say, wow, I worked an hour. I know what I made. And it's not that easy to budget that in here in the States. So it almost forces you to work so much more to try and balance out the good days and the bad. Right. Because if you're a bartender that has a Friday, Saturday night shift, it's very different than if your days are Monday, Tuesday day, your tips are going to be significantly different. Exactly. When it's good days here, you know, I get a busy shift. It's almost like I'm happy the way this system works just because you're happy you made that money. But it, it would definitely feel less competitive and, and a little more rewarding if you got paid a normal hourly wage. So as of our interview right now, in Miami anyway, only restaurants, not bars, are open at 50% capacity. So how has this affected you and the bar that you work at? So I was actually working at two bars before all of this hit. And both bars were, of course, forced to close. Well, both of them are also considered restaurants. At the moment, I'm not back to work. And, you know, while all of this is going on and you know, it's for the best that these places close down, I actually saw with my account and as well being part of the United States Bartender Guild, the community just coming together. So I'm kind of looking at it at the positive side. A lot of restaurants were helping out local bartenders and people in the industry who are out of work. I've used this time for my account personally to just come up with creative cocktails. And so that's built my creativity. And I've tried out things that I usually wouldn't have had time to do. I've connected with 
so many agave enthusiasts and other bartenders around that I hadn't even met yet because I didn't even have time to go to their bars. And now I'm looking forward to going once we slowly reopen. So I try to keep and look at the positive side and hope that everyone is doing well. Have you been basically just out of work waiting this entire time? Pretty much, yes, I do. And I have had an online job. So I was working at an office. I did mention earlier, I kind of always had my office job and then a bar job. I keep myself very busy. And so I'm very fortunate that I do still have my other job going. Luckily, I have that. But my main source of income does come from bartending and working in the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. And so once bars in Miami reopen, it's likely going to be at 50% capacity like they're doing in the rest of the state. Do you think that this will be, I mean, it seems like for you personally, you have a good setup because you have the supplemental job, but for bartenders and service industry workers in general, do you think that these Miami workers are going to be able to kind of stay afloat with um, 50% capacity restaurants and bars? I have faith. I think we're ready to go out. And while you have your people that are still skeptical and are going to wait it out, you have just as much people that are, are ready to, you know, go out. And I hope that, you know, people have an open mind and know that these workers have been out of work for so long. Unfortunately, with 50% capacity, that kind of means you'll need less staff. You won't be working at a normal volume, you know, because it was a, it used to be a free-for-all, you know, wait out, you could wait outside, you could wait to come in, people wait in lines and stuff. So it might affect in the sense people still won't go back to their normal hours, meaning they won't make what they used to make. It's moving in the right direction, I believe. Hmm. Does it make you consider like what if the U.S. adopted more of a hourly wage like Melbourne? Or do you think that the system that we have currently works better? No, I think I'm for switching it up like Melbourne. Here, especially in Miami, being such a touristy city, a lot of places will already add that 20% to a check and then you have tourists coming in and they're confused as to why they're paying it and why it should come from there. I kind of see it from their end. I feel like it's an outdated system. So maybe if they did adopt an actual minimum wage, it could boost the system. It's kind of hard to say, really. I wouldn't know how it would work here, but it'd be interesting. Well, you know, and tipping culture is so interesting to me, because it's such a subjective thing that you could be giving the best service imaginable. And even before that person entered the establishment, maybe they had already decided they weren't going to tip, or maybe it doesn't matter to them that they receive great service. They're still just going to tip like a dollar or something on a $30 tab or what have you. So I always found that really interesting that it's like, it's this thing that the quality of the bartender or server doesn't necessarily matter a lot of the time. It's really just up to the discretion of the person that is coming in there. It's a tricky system and it's one that is not really set in stone. You hear many people saying everyone should 
be forced to work in this industry for at least six months of their life or, or in retail. So they understand what it's like and what we're going through. You can't teach somebody either how to tip. It's not, it's very awkward conversations. So when your bills and your wage is, is based off of your customer, like I was saying, you almost lose a part of you isn't really focused on your job. You're focused on making sure, you know, you're going to get money. It sounds so bad. It's, it's almost in the back of your mind. I've talked to other bartenders about this and I've actually talked to some that have said that they actually like tipping because it means even though you could sometimes make not very much money, you have the option to make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Depending on like what you're selling, the shifts that you have. One person in particular that I talked to was concerned that she kind of had like an advantage with tipping in place and wouldn't have that advantage if it was just, you know, across the board, same wage for everyone and and people didn't really tip. I agree. I mean, when you have a a good night or you're working at the right bar and you have the right shifts and I have personally struggled at the bar versus servers, just volume wise. I mean, I couldn't seat as many guests at my bar, whether or not I could handle it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot of factors there. Especially now with coronavirus, I think everything is kind of being reshaped, it's worth considering, is there a different way for people that work in the service industry to make a living? Because I'm definitely not certain that what we've had in place before is going to continue working and moving forward. I agree. I mean, if you look into how takeaway works, it's not as common for people to tip. And so then it comes down to the establishment that you're working at saying like, all right, can we legally, or are we going to decide to add an included amount to this person's bill in order to be able to help pay and get us money in here in Miami? You can almost guarantee that every, every check is going to have guaranteed 20% maybe 18%, 20% is a bit aggressive. And some people will tip on top of that without noticing it. Always check your bill. So best guess, just based on your experience bartending in Miami, in Melbourne, what do you think the future of bars in Miami is going to look like? I'm hopeful. I hope that we can get back to, you know, a time where We can all just smush into a bar and dance together and enjoy that atmosphere. I think things will, maybe the fruits and stuff will be, will be fresher. Maybe the way that we can rethink how a bartender, especially a busy bartender goes from handling money to, to the drinks, to the fruit. I'm sure there'll be new ways that we can adapt to provide a more clean and efficient service, but I hope that certain bars can just return, especially, you know, Miami clubbish scene, you know, it'd be sad to see that it's, it's empty or harder to get into because of capacity issues and stuff like that. What's one thing you wish people who didn't work in the service industry knew? I just hope 
people understand that we're just as passionate and hardworking as anyone else in their jobs. Um, we, we take pride in what we do. There's a lot more than what we do that you can see. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to have to keep a, a positive and happy smile in, in front of you know, an audience at all times. But other than like a negative tone, I, I just think that people maybe could be a little more compassionate with us and, and appreciative. Thanks, Ashley, for sharing your experience with us. If you love agave, be sure to visit Ashley's Instagram page, at Miss Agave, where you can see cocktail-making videos and tips on how to best enjoy this spirit. And while you're on there, check out our Instagram at Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Anschel. Sound engineering for this episode of Bar Dive was done by Jason Sosoyev. If you're someone that works in the bar service industry and would like to speak about your experience, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at bardivepodcast at gmail.com. One last thing before we go. Here's Ashley again with a recipe for you to try. So this agave-based uh, cocktail is called Oaxacan Old Fashioned. Oaxaca is a state in Mexico uh, where most of mezcal is made. So what you'll need is two ounces of mezcal. You'll need some sort of sweetener and bitters. You can use chocolate and or orange bitters, mix them up. You only need about three to two drops for this drink. And if you would like to add a bit of heat to this drink, you can chop up a habanero or a jalapeno pepper. So in a, any tall glass that you have, you're gonna muddle the jalapeno, do that first, and then add the two ounces of your mezcal, your half ounce of agave or simple syrup, and your bitters. And then you wanna add ice into this glass and stir it up until it's quite diluted, not all the way, but make sure you spin it about 30 times. And then you wanna strain out your drink over ice in a short glass and you can garnish it with an orange peel. And there you have it, your Oaxacan old fashioned. Salud.